Talk Soups and CEOs, Episode 24, Season 2, Extending Instruction Anywhere, Anytime. A panel of superintendents discusses strategies with Phil Cutler from Paper. This is the last panel discussion we're going to share from our spring summit at the Broadmoor. I'm going to give you a very short intro because this is a long one and it has some amazing folks on it. I want to thank Phil Cutler from Paper, who has been an active partner of ours, and we really appreciate working with them. Um, It's always great to have folks come from from the Great White North to come be with us, and um, they've been at every event most events this year. So Phil leads the panel. You have Dr. Ann Levitt of Savannah, Chatham County Public Schools, Georgia. You have Dr. Danny Merck of Pickens County Public Schools in South Carolina. You have Ms. Debbie Baker, who is the assistant superintendent at Brighton Central School District outside of Rochester, New York. Mr. Todd Dugan, who is superintendent of a rural district in Illinois called Bunker Hill. You have Dr. Adam Clark, who is the superintendent of Mount Diablo Unified School District um, which is sort of between, sort of near Oakland and Berkeley in the Bay Area, California. And you have our old friend, Dr. Susan Enfield of Highline Public Schools, all of them discussing strategies for extending learning to kids no matter where they are. So I hope you enjoy this panel discussion. And we're going to be doing more of this. This is what we're doing, this is what IEI does. Um, anybody wonders what do superintendents do at IEI it's this this is our work and we're going to be doing more of it at the Biltmore July 14th if you're interested in being part of it you can listen in you can buy a ticket at soups talk s-u-p-e-s talk soupstalk.com or you know the normal sort of uh, partner sponsorship piece with one-on-one meetings etc is all available and then some of our partners like paper decide to get further involved and sponsor sponsor um a, a thought leadership discussion that they end up leading that's available to a virtual or an in-person partner so if you're interested in any of that get in touch with us but this is just a fantastic group of folks i'm really honored to have all of them with us and i hope you enjoy this discussion welcome back iei welcome back i hope everybody's having a great day today a lot of learning going on um, we're going to get towards the end of the day with really a rock star panel, Phil Cutler from Paper is going to lead us, and he's going to bring some folks up and, uh, to make this a more equitable situation for kids. So yeah. here we go, Phil. Take yeah. It. Well, thank you all, obviously, for for being here. Um, I'll start by saying this. So about 14 months ago, obviously, pandemic forced schools closed, and media took over with a lot of negative stories. Right. The narrative was our schools weren't ready. We can't adapt. There were a lot of things that were being said that I thought were were unfair. Uh, And so as a company at Paper, we decided that we want to try and start highlighting a lot of the positive stuff that was happening in school districts because there was a lot of positive, right? It was not necessarily what was being highlighted by the media, but it was happening. And as an organization, we said, let's bring those to the forefront and let's really highlight what's going on in a positive light. And so decided to come back a year later now 
and we've got this amazing panel of superintendents that have joined us who are going to be talking about what they've implemented over the last year that's been successful and how they're going to piggyback off that going forward. So we're going to be doing a little coast-to-coast -coast, uh, action here, starting on the East Coast, moving West. And we're going to allow the superintendents in an Ignite format, so it'll be really quick, about five minutes for each presenter, to talk about their district, the profile of the district, some, you know, what they've got going on there, talk about one instructional strategy or a couple of instructional strategies that were put in place over the last year that they feel are going to remain in place going forward, and then some key takeaways for everybody to learn from. And we've got a wide range of districts, a wide range of sizes of districts, wide range of different demographics. And I think the goal here is actually to create a document that will be able to be shared around and people will be able to actually see, like, look at all the success that districts have had over the last year. Because there really is a ton of progress that's been made. And we see it day in and day out at paper working with our partners. But the truth is that a lot of this just needs to be brought to the forefront. And I really want to shed a light on all the amazing work that everyone's done. So I don't want to take too much time, but... I want to just thank all of our superintendents before we get this started for taking time to prepare your slides in advance. Everybody got them in. We're very proud of that. So far, technically, it seems like everything's going smooth. Yeah. So boxes are checked. This is going well. Um, and then we're going we're gonna to go through this. And then at the end, if we do have some time left over, I'll hand it over to the Remo folks. If anyone has questions, we'll be able to sort of go through those. I'm not sure how much time we'll have, but we'll see how it goes. So. Without further ado, I'll, I'll introduce the panel really, really quickly. We've got Ann Levitt, Ann Levitt from uh, Savannah, Georgia. We've got Daniel Mark joining us from Pickens County. We've got Debbie Baker joining us from New York, from Brighton. Todd Dugan from Bunker Hill, Illinois. Uh, we've got Adam Clark, who's joining us from Mount Diablo in California. And we've got Susan Enfield joining us from Highline in Seattle, just outside Seattle. So, Ann, are you ready to go? I'm ready to go. Okay, we've got five minutes on the clock here. All right. Sarah, you're, you're good on this? I'm a timekeeper as well? Okay. Well, <laughs> no, I, I got you. We'll do, the we'll do the best we can to keep to the time. We won't be as strict as, as everyone is with the two-minute drills and, and the horn. <laughs> but we'll try and get through this efficiently. So, Anne, I'll hand it over to you. Thank you so much for joining us. Tell us a little bit more about the district. Well, I want to thank IEF first and then also Paper for, um, you know, for sharing this. So I'm from beautiful Savannah, Georgia. If you have not visited, then you must do so. We're on the coast of Georgia, and we are the 10th largest school district. We're a city-county district. We have about 38,000 students, 56 sites, um, including one that we just established, a permanent um, e-learning academy. We did that just as the pandemic broke because we knew we needed to provide a permanent option virtually. About 65% of our students qualify for free or reduced lunch. 11% of those students are ELL, and that percentage is growing. Um, we are, like I said, we're a city county district. We call us, we tell people that we started the county line and we run all the way to Savannah Beach or Tybee. So um, we cover seven municipalities, which means we have seven different governments that we have to deal with in addition to our own. Um, the pandemic, of course, affected us much like it affected everyone else. So I congratulate my colleagues on doing a great job during this time, even though that's not always what's said. Um, I appreciate the opportunity today to talk about two strategies that we use to really even the playing field. Um, you know, one of the things that did happen as a result of the pandemic was that we were able to finally move to one-to-one. All the time before then, I'd always been told there's
38,000 devices. Well, guess what? We got them. <laughs> and in a hurry, in competition with everybody else in the nation who was looking for Chromebooks. But well, one thing we recognized was something that's been repeatedly shared um, over the um, of our time together, and that is, what do you do with the kids who do not have internet access? So we can give them a device, and that's what we did, but we often found that they did not have internet access. And it wasn't always because we didn't have a hotspot to give them. That was a problem to begin. We started um, petitioning T-Mobile, and we also had a public campaign to get hotspots for kids. With the T-Mobile project, we picked up about 8,000 additional hotspot devices that we could issue to students that needed it. But we also still had parts of the county where kids could not access the internet. So we established a process called the fueling station. The fueling station simply meant that the kids had a device that they're accustomed to, it's a thumb drive. On that thumb drive, we would load their, their lessons for the week, including videos, and they could pick that thumb drive up, take it. It also had activities on it. They could complete those activities and bring those back to the school. If they couldn't bring them back to the school, then we sent someone out to pick them up. At that time, they would get a new thumb drive. And those activities would be, or so assignments would be graded. So they had the beauty and the convenience of a device, which is what we had worked so hard for, but they could not use it. It would have been rendered useless um, otherwise. But we just loaded all their, uh, all their assignments on that and then gave them the kind of feedback. So we used the old-fashioned telephone to call them and talk through it. And we also established a number of hotlines so that students could call in for additional assistance. So the, the uh, refueling station really did help. It will continue to be a part of what we do because we will still have students who live in parts of the county without internet access. So that was the first one. And the takeaway from that I was saying earlier is that some of the technology that kids are accustomed to using can still be used. We tend to think, well, we used to use that or we used to use this. Now what they found is those thumb drives are especially useful. They can use them, they can be replaced, and they can be um, quite helpful in terms of um, helping kids move forward. And then, of course, the hotlines proved very useful as well. Hotlines were manned or womaned from 7 a.m. in the morning until 8.30 p.m. at night so students could get immediate access to some assistance. The second strategy was that we used our rock star teachers to record um, lessons. And we were very fortunate in that we turned our school board meeting room into a broadcast center. So we used our students as well as our staff uh, to record lessons for our students. And then we loaded them up to YouTube. We initially started by um, forming a, uh, an agreement with Comcast. Comcast agreed to give us an independent channel. We put the lessons there. Of course, we were putting them, loading them up as soon as we could get them. But we finally moved them from there to YouTube, which the kids could access at any time, any time of the day or night. We established our own. Of course, we had a YouTube channel anyway. So we just moved the lessons over there, and now they're available on demand. So if you're pre-K, you can search for all the pre-K listings, 
or if you are taking chemistry, you can search for all the chemistry lessons. The other thing that was so exciting about that is that the boardroom became a chemistry lab. It became a PE classroom. We also could go out to spaces and do recordings and post them that way. And again, what we've done is we really have used the available technology and turned it into something that can really be helpful during this time. We have found this obsession and this kind of overarching concern about having the devices and having the technology and the apps. But we also know that when students are learning at, at home, they may not have that expertise or that additional assistance. So the hotlines proved really helpful, but having a generous also um, local television station that aired those lessons during the day for us was mm. really helpful as well. Now, that didn't last as long as I wanted it to, but it was really cool for my parents <laughs> and students to be able to turn on the regular television station and see um, that information there available for them. Of course, it was also a way for us to highlight um, our very um, talented teachers who are also some really, really good. I mean, really good actors and actresses. Um, so it worked out really well. One of the things that we learned was the kids really engaged that way. Whether they had, um, whether they had the access through their devices or not, they really did take advantage of it. So we could see them going back and looking at those again. The numbers were really, really high. So we are excited about those two strategies that we found really useful. So if you don't have internet access, it's not the end of the world. You have the devices, a good way to, to get the kids engaged. Amazing. Thank you. Right. And thank you very, very, very much. That was amazing. You're out of the hot seat now. <laughs> if you want to use it, oh, just sit go and then you reset it there. Okay. How are we on time there? Uh, she went over, but I couldn't cut her off because it was such a good That's okay. So. It's like the music starts playing at the Oscars and like, you keep going a little bit because they're. No, I've got, I've got a setup here. We'll try and stay with it, but it's no, all no, good. If we go over, we go yeah. over. Don't worry about it. That's incredible insight there. Um, and again, I'll, I'll reiterate, this deck will get shared around to everybody afterwards, so we'll be able to share this insight um, if you haven't been taking notes. Yeah, it's, it's, it, we put it in the so. Okay, perfect. Danny. Hello. Come on, it's <laughs> <laughs> So we're sitting here. Yeah, so okay. Danny's superintendent of uh, Pickens County. We've had a chance to connect a couple times over the last year. Really excited to hear about all the amazing things you guys have been able to do over the last year. We'll get the clock started. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. Nice to meet you. Good to see you. Likewise. Um, Danny Burke, Superintendent, Pickens County. Uh, we're about four or five hours away uh, from Savannah, uh, the Blue Ridge Mountains. Nowhere near as nice as the Rocky Mountains, by the way. <laughs> uh, but I would say that uh, uh, people know us from Clemson University, and I have some good friends from LSU and Alabama. <laughs> here, so, uh, but people know Pickens County by uh, Clemson University, and we're the central location between Atlanta and Charlotte, and so that's our location. Uh, we have about 15, 16,000 students. Uh, we lost a few this year, and uh, so uh, usually around 16,000. And uh, we have 2,000 teachers, and that's who we are. And uh, just this is my eighth year as superintendent, and I've really enjoyed IEI for the last two or three years, and just the connection of being with other superintendents and being in the room. So I always look forward to growing. And it's been 13 months since I've traveled, so it's, 
I just love being here. So, so thank you for the opportunity, Paper. Um, as far as instructional strategies, I'll share a couple of ideas. I just thought about, as Anna was sharing, uh, what we did during the summers, we took grades uh, one through eight, and we took four teachers from each grade level, and we took uh, 15 of the power standards from each quarter, and we made videos with our best teachers. And so we had that asynchronous opportunity right, right away. And so if you take the 60 um, power standards, the most important, and you think about the school year, if the kids were able to get the most important lessons, then you've always got a, a reservoir, uh, a library of opportunities. And so we did that as well during the summer, and that proved to be one of our better things. But what I wanted to share with you is a conversation that we had. Uh, I went to Finland in October of 2018, and uh, we've sent teachers over there. And our Teacher of the Year will get uh, a trip to Finland uh, for being District Teacher of the Year. And uh, we still have an ongoing collaboration. Uh, Finland has come to us. We've been to them three times now. And so uh, Finland has something called Assessment Land. And it was a real simple approach to formative assessment. And they had like 30 mountains on a picture in the classroom. And after an important lesson, the students would put where their level of understanding is in order to say, okay, one through 30, here's my understanding. If it was a tall mountain, obviously you were 30. And so it was a simple way. Sometimes technology doesn't work. <laughs> and so, true, I don't but you know, we, we gained a lot of insight just from watching uh, some great teachers do some simple things that you could do in a classroom. And we, we took uh, something called morning meetings, and you may do morning meetings, uh, but uh, the pandemic required us to have staggered starts so that you go straight to the classroom. And we had never done that before. And so the teachers were in the classroom 30 minutes before. And so during that morning meeting time, you could actually, with, with just a sticky, do assessment land on mental health, social emotional learning, on trauma informed classrooms. You could have any approach that you wanted and you want to see where that child is. And so if you make it about well-being, and the pandemic was about well-being, if you get that right first thing with morning meetings, then you can apply the lessons from assessment land from Finland into the classroom before you actually start school. And so two simple things that we took from Finland. Uh, assessment land and morning meetings allowed us to tackle the pandemic in hopefully a good way. Uh, we've been to school 85% of the year and uh, we feel good about where we are. But doing those practices early on took some of the pressure off of trying to do something dynamic and make it about people and check on the well being of our students instead of trying to make sure that we have this perfect lesson. Let's just make sure that our students are in a good place to learn before the school day starts. And then once the school day starts, let's just track them in a real easy way. So those are two little things. Hopefully, um, you know, we keep growing and, and hopefully one day I'll make it back to family. Yeah. <laughs> well, I appreciate that. I remember our conversation, it was probably like May of last year. And you were talking to us about the whole experience, the, you know, sharing that insight with your, you know, the, the counterparts in Finland. And we started saying that internally, like, you know, everyone should be looking way outside their circles to try and draw some ideas or just innovations. And I think part of the reason why IEI is successful is it brings together a whole lot of different districts, a whole lot of different folks, even on the vendor side, right? And we learn from each other. 
And so hopefully um, there'll be some takeaways here. Again, if anyone's listening, right, we're going to be we're sharing insight that you took away from Finland, from your experiences there with everyone here. Now it's North America. <laughs> awesome. Well, Danny, thank you so much. You. Definitely appreciate it. <laughs> All right. Next up, we've got Debbie Baker. Debbie Baker is the Assistant Superintendent of Curriculum and Instruction at Brighton Central Schools in New York. She's also an avid hiker. We spent a lot of time yesterday hiking through Garden of the Gods. So very excited to, to learn more about what you guys have put in place. And we talked a little bit about this over the last day or two, but I'll hand it over to you. I'll put five minutes back on the clock and we'll share those insights with the crowd here. Very good. Very good. First of all, Anna, just you made me smile when you said amazingly there there turned there ended up being enough money for uh, devices. We were in the same boat. We had were like a two to one implementation for our K eight students, and then all of a sudden it became very clear that we needed additional. Somehow the money tree grew, and, and we were able to get it. And I'm not going to question about that because it made a very large difference. Um, Brighton Central School District, a uh, small school district. When Phil contacted me, I'm like. We're only 3,500 kids. We're a first-ring uh, first suburb of Rochester, New York. Um, but I also see, and looking at the demographics of many of our folks here, many of my colleagues, that uh, we're similar. Um, we are about 21% free and reduced lunch. That really has increased over the last 10 years. Um, when I first started in the district, we were at about 5%. And so that's really caused us to step back and think differently, um, retrain, retool our teachers into thinking very differently about the kids that we're teaching and what their needs are. We're about 5% um, English language learners with about 45 different languages spoken across our district. Mm. So um, we are very, very diverse. Um, which has presented some challenges, but also some serious opportunities. Um, as far as what I wanted to focus on, I don't necessarily think about it as more of a strategy, um, but really a game changer for us was our learning management system. Prior to the pandemic, we had been working and, and kind of cajoling, if you will, experimenting with uh, using Schoology as a learning management system. But again, when the devices came, we needed some sort of a background to put them on and um, found that this tool not only really assisted us in meeting the needs of our, of our students, but also as an added benefit really helped us to address the needs of some of our faculty. So um, again, you know, last March, it was no longer, uh, you know, you can use this or try this, but rather you need to do this. And so we uh, did some really quick training with our teachers. They rose to the occasion. Um, for those of you that are familiar with learning management systems, it really is a virtual classroom. And, and you really, it allows you to do what you can do with students um, in a in a face-to-face -face setting, um, really allows you to mimic that in a virtual world. And again, we would not have been able to do that um, without it. And so all of our teachers, um, as they started to build their classrooms online and started to provide for the students, um, one of the added bonuses we saw is they were doing a lot of collaboration, right? They were in survival mode. So um, learning management systems make it so that you can share uh, resources, share lesson plans. And so, uh, you know, you spoke about the power standards. And so we had, we gave teachers an opportunity um, to do that work. But now one teacher could design a lesson um, or a series of lessons that address one and then share it with another teacher who perhaps was designing lessons that addressed a second power standard. And so, um, again, like I said, the virtual nature of, uh, of the work really made that possible. 
another added bonus or benefit, if you will, in addition to increasing our teachers' collaboration efforts. Um, we also realized that we needed to maintain relationships with students, and so we could use it um, and hold virtual clubs, right, our virtual activities. Um, our coaches continued to meet regularly with their teams um, through Zoom, with the learning management system and set up, um, you know, exercise regimens and workouts and um, really could stay connected to our team. So it wasn't just about our classroom teachers using it, but rather all facets of our uh, learning community were able to tap in. The parents loved it because, again, it was a one-stop shop. They could log in for their student and see what the, you know, what the English assignment was, what the math assignment was. And then also our teachers could kind of collaborate across by a shared calendar to say, oh, I'm not going to pile this on this day because the kids have three other things going on. So again, just a myriad of ways um, we benefited from having um, just a universal application um, for our learning management system. And look at that, 55 seconds. To We're giving time back to people here. Right? We're giving right. time back to people. <laughs> Debbie, thank you so, so much. Um, you can be relieved from the hot seat here. This is amazing. Um, this is great, by the way. I, I enjoy being up here. Some of you guys don't know this, but I was a teacher before I started the company. And I miss these moments of being kind of in front of everybody and, and running the class. Um, you guys are just as good as my students were when I was teaching. Today. <laughs> so they were a strong class. Todd, you're up next here. Really appreciate you coming and joining in with this. Todd and I have been trying to get a clubhouse thing going for yeah. like a month now. Yeah, time, um, time's up. <laughs> yeah. But I forced them into this. So we're about to hear all about Bunker Hill. Todd, I'll, uh, I'll start the clock here. All right, sure. There you go. I appreciate having me on this. Uh, uh, this is some esteemed company I'm with, too. So a little, little bit of pressure here. So um, so Bunker Hill, our school district, I know the, the person right from me said that they were small. We're even smaller. Uh, we have three sites. Uh, and as many of us in rural cities understand that you have many, many, many miles and operational and transportation costs for a very few number of students. Uh, and that's just the way uh, rural areas uh, are just by ne through necessity. We are uh, 620 students, 62% free and reduced lunch. That number is actually very uh, on the low side because we have a uh, many, the, the vast majority of our families are uh, what you would term working class. So they would be at the top of the uh, low income class or at the bottom, very bottom of the middle class. So. Um, and 18% have with no broadband access. And I don't want to repeat what was said yesterday in the five minute uh, five minutes of fame portion, but I, I did want to mention something I uh, failed to mention at yesterday's session was that um, I do feel like for years and years, the excitement of ed technology has been what it can do for rural areas. Like there is no way possible that rural districts can have the budgets uh, to take kids on a field trip to the pyramids of Egypt. However, technology uh, it can be a great equalizer. Uh, without the uh, equal connectivity and access, though, it just exacerbates an, an inequity that already exists. In fact, making it much worse. Um, I would talk about the uh, hotspots, and we did for sure secure some Sprint hotspots. Those were supposed to be delegated to the high school. In a crisis, you just break all rules. You just deploy them. Uh, they were limited to 10 gigs a month. So by November, kids were out of data. Uh, so this moment came when... Um, we had students that teachers were texting me pictures of students in their attic with their coats on, holding the hotspot out the window, trying to get on the Google Classroom. There is a biker bar in Bunker Hill that has slot machines called the Bunk House. Not a good place to go. However, it opened its doors for our kids every day 
to go do internet. So, uh, so when I called T-Mobile, once they took over Sprint, T-Mobile uh, got on them on the phone and they're like, you're going to make me cry. And I was like, well, I'm not trying to make you cry. I'm just telling you exactly this is how we're navigating through this situation. So um, even though hotspots are not the end of the digital divide, they do bring it closer. So the point of that story is that those of us in areas with less resources, I've always felt this uh, from my heart for years, is that those with less can innovate more. Uh, and, you know, I, and I still believe that firmly. You can give somebody millions and billions of dollars and say innovate to make something great for kids. Or if you get the right person that has very little resources, but the dedication, the mission and the passion to do it, they can innovate far more with far less. So um, rather than talk about those uh, innovative things that we've done, I'd like to uh, leave with a couple of takeaways of things that we learned from this. First of all, what we uh, ended up with at, the, uh, at this year and where we're at right now, mastery is not the same thing as work completion. So uh, nationwide, those studies have shown that there was huge amounts of learning loss between K2, K3, 6 through 12, not so much. However, the converse of that is in our district, those, those assessments measure true, but our grades were fine for K2, K3, K4. The grades are in the toilet in 6 through 12. But if there's the learning loss didn't happen in 6 12, why are the grades so low? The answer is compliance, right? Not doing work. So that is one thing right there uh, as a district and maybe I think as public education in general, this would be an opportune time to look at it and say, listen, it, if what we're assessing is compliance or completing work, that is not the same as assessing content that's mastered, skills that are mastered. Uh, so this is a perfect time to shift that conversation from compliance to uh, mastery, true ass assessing true of what we, uh, the true outcomes of a course or a subject area. Um, next was just basically uh, the equity gaps. The new, these uh, so-called new equity gaps are not new at all. They've been here for decades. Um, the access doesn't close it. And one thing that you will know, if there is not an infrastructure and teacher efficacy lined up, ready to go, you can shift and you can get thousands of Chromebooks in the hands very quickly. Anything is possible when people are, are ready. Uh, however, uh, the pedagogy doesn't change. It's still basically, uh, you have a, a large inequity. So if you haven't uh, turned, shifted your instruction from like a, you know, say a kill and drill to uh, collaborate and create, then you're, you're making, uh, you're basically an inequitable district that have, happens to have one-to-one -one access to devices and hotspots. Um, so, uh, and I guess, uh, so I, I can conclude here with uh, the assessment. So. One of the things last year, uh, and it kind of saddens me too, is that last year at this, pretty close to this time, we had all agreed that assessments were totally not needed, not necessary, very low on the radar, and how quickly we brought them right back. In fact, uh, many of you in this room know Annabelle, the 11-year-old that comes with me on these things, dying to see the Rocky Mountains, so I bring her. Uh, unfortunately, she's missing the first day of the park testing. Big deal. <laughs> <laughs> well said, Todd, well said. <laughs> Thank you for that. Adam, you're up next. This has been great, by the way. We're heading west a little further. Um, really appreciate all the insight. And the diversity in terms of all the different strategies here is amazing. Adam, really privileged to have you here today. Absolutely. Happy to be here. Are you ready to go? I'm ready to go. All right. I'll hand it over to you. You've got five minutes on the clock. Yep. So I'm the superintendent of the Mount Diablo Unified School District, and it's located in the, uh, in the San Francisco Bay Area. It's right over the hill from Berkeley and Oakland, and we service about 30,000 students, um, but we're down somewhere around 29,000 right now. 42% of those students are free and reduced, and, um, and about 20% are EL. Um, one of the interesting things about our district is that we span 
over six, seven different communities. And within those communities, we have your very, very high wealth communities. And then we also have some very impoverished communities. And so leading in a, in a district like that, you always have to have a, um, a focus on equity. And so that is the strategy that I'm gonna talk about today. And um, so what we've created, um, we have an equity department in our, in our district. And, um, you know, a, a lot of people think California is the land of, you know, palm trees and granola, but we, we have some serious challenges in, in California. And it really plays out in the data of our, um, of our students. Our data is 100% predictable. It's what uh, many, um, you know, what, what many data looks like across the country. And that's something that we are um, working very hard to, to disrupt. So instead of using our equity team as sort of a, um, come and put out the fire. You know, there's been a there's been a racial incident at a particular school, or there's been something that has happened, and then this team comes in. We are, we have created a um, PLC cohort with our um, site leaders and those district administrators that supervise them, and so we have them broken into different tiers, and they're able to um, you know work as a cohort and really talking about equity and examining you know their their own you know, their own views on things and, and ways that they can tie that to supporting students. And so, um, again, you have to unpack, you know, yourself and you have to be able to, you know, create a, a safe space for that. We have approximately 63 principles. So to, to have a, a, a very deep and challenging conversation around equity and implicit bias and how, how you view um, different things is difficult in, the, in a group that large. So we've broken it down so that they really can establish trust and to be able to um, be open about, you know, their upbringings, about some of the beliefs that they have and, and really their why. And then as, as they establish their why, we then look at their school data. We look at their um, achievement rates. We look at their failure rates. We look at suspensions, attendance, things like that, and then have that tough conversation with them. Does your why align with, with what your school is basically what you are producing at your school? And there's no finger pointing here or anything. You really have to, you know, as a site administrator, really take ownership of that. And, um, you know, and, and again, as a district, we set this up. So we're not using this as a punitive model. We're using this as a supportive model. And, um, and so then, so then as, they, as they show themselves to be vulnerable, they then um, demonstrate that with their own staffs. And so again, to pull you know, 63 different schools together and try to do equity training with all of those teachers and staff members is very difficult, but those staff members have a special relationship with their principal. Their principal is ultimately responsible for what takes place at that school. And so that principal can then lead um, that, that very, very important equity work um, you know, as, as they go forward. And then really what we, what we, you know, what we're hoping to come out with, because this has been, um, you know, this has been work we've been, we've been doing for some time, but we've just shifted to this model is, you know, we really want people to understand their belief systems and, and what their belief systems may be contributing to either good data or bad data or where work needs to happen. And then we also want to be we want to be proactive. I don't want to send out a, an equity team to go put out a fire of a situation. We want the principals to really be able to handle that, um, you know, on their own. Of course, they can ask for support and they can, you know, get resources and things of that nature. And then, of course, um, you know, we want to break down those barriers. And when things like racism come up and um, things like that, we, we hope that in the end, our principals 
will really have the skills to, um, you know, to eliminate those barriers at the site level so that their students can really um, access the curriculum and access the, um, you know, the resources that, that we have for all of them. So um, it's been a great journey. We still have lots of work to, to you know, we have lots of work to do and we're, we're happy to engage with, um, you know, with, with all different folks on, on this conversation and we think it's, it's vital and it has to take place so our students can be successful. Right. Amazing. And I just thank you for the opportunity. <laughs> thank you for joining. And this is amazing. Definitely appreciate it. Yeah. Some great insight there. Good. Um, last but not least, uh, I want to introduce uh, Dr. Susan Enfield. Not many of you have probably met her, but. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Bill. Some of you may have. Take that back. Um, Susan, obviously, we have a chance to talk all the time. I know you guys do incredible stuff at Highline. Really excited to hear what you're going to be talking about today. Um, so without further ado, I'll hand it over to you. I'll put five minutes on the clock here okay. and share with everybody your interesting takes. I know you always have teed up. Well, I, I, my presentation is going to sound a lot like Danny, so sorry about that. But we were clearly on the same wavelength. So, <laughs> so there I, are some I, similarities across exactly. the district. So, there you go. Um, I'm the superintendent for Highline Public Schools just outside Seattle, Washington. When you land at Seattle International Airport, my district surrounds the airport. Um, we are a richly diverse school system. As you can see here, we have 17,500 students. Um, about 70% of our students come to us relying on us for most of their meals. And 30% of our students come speaking a language other than English. Um, and we have over 100 different languages spoken. Uh, the top languages are Spanish, Vietnamese, and Somali. So when I say we're richly diverse, I mean it. Um, and you'll notice that the way I talk about that is not with labels. We don't believe that we should reduce our children to labels. So we use student first language. So it's students coming to us, relying on us, it's students who come speaking another language rather than ELL students or that sort of thing. In Highline, we have, rather than a mission or vision, and my friends all know this, sorry, you can like tune out now and make your grocery list in your head. We have our Highline promise. And that promise is to know every student by name, strength, and need. So they graduate prepared for the future that they choose. I would argue that that at its highest level is a definition of equity, because if we could say that every child in our public school systems was known by name, by strength and by need, and that they graduated prepared for a future they chose for themselves, not a future that was predetermined for them by an adult who either um, channeled them in one direction or prevented them from having certain opportunities, we wouldn't be having the equity fights that we're having right now. So that promise really drives everything that we do. And so I have this dream that every child should have at least one meaningful adult relationship in their, in their school day. I think it matters. I'm a former high school teacher. I know there's many other teachers here. I think we all know the power of one. You don't need to have a great relationship with every adult in your school, but damn it, you got to have at least one. You've got to have that one adult who cares that you're there, who notices when you're not, and who takes the time to ask how you're doing. So under the heading of Never Waste a Good Crisis, when we went into remote learning last spring, um, we had different planning teams. And I said to our whole child planning team, okay, this is it. We're going to finally operationalize our Highline Promise. I want us to say to our schools, one-to-one -one connection. Every kid pre-K through 12 has an adult assigned to them. And that adult checks in with them on a weekly basis and actually records it. Because I would argue that we talk a lot about the digital divide. We had a relationship divide. Mm -hmm. And the reality is that algebra ain't happening 
if a student isn't seen and acknowledged and respected. And so, you know, we really realized that, yes, we can get devices into people's hands, but really we needed to make sure that our kids felt connected. And by the way, in this remote environment, and today is the first day that my middle and high school kids are back in their school buildings since last March. So it was vitally important that our kids knew that they were still connected to a school community, even though they were in a, in a virtual environment. So I would also argue that you can't talk about academic success unless you're talking about the social emotional well-being of children and, and everything follows from that. And I think that all of us can think back to our teaching days and that, that, that child that came back to us and said, you know, you made a difference because I knew that you cared. Um, and so we really, really pushed this this year with um, with our team. It, it has gone somewhat better in some schools than others. Um, and it's something that we are going to continue and we're gonna get better at. Um, I will tell you that when I introduced this concept, I had a teacher email me and was very offended that I would think that she's not already doing this. And I said, I know you're already doing it. And I know a lot of your colleagues are doing it. And I think you will agree with me that we have invisible children in this district. That sadly, it happens by chance, not by design. And so we wanted it to happen by design. So takeaway, Sarah. Um, power of connection. Uh, we've talked a lot about um, computers, access. Um, it's never going to replace relationships. I think by virtue of the fact that we're all here, mm. that's how much this matters, right? Zoom is great. It ain't the same thing. And so really never losing sight of the power of those relationships. School family teams. Some of you heard me talk about this yesterday. I think that we're moving beyond family engagement, beyond family partnership to a team approach where it's the school staff and the family teaming up to support each child. And I think each child is deserving of having that team. And I call it hashtag team kid. And finally, um, and I said this earlier, um, by design, uh, not chance. And I think what this pandemic has done is it's forced us to not look away from the hard truths in our public education system and the inequities that you all have shared. And uh, I think the challenge now is, um, will we continue to look these inequities um, straight on and actually have the courage to act and do something about them? 10 seconds to go. <laughs> Impressive. Fantastic. Susan, thank you so much. This is, um, first of all, thank you all for taking time to prepare the slides and walk through all this. Yeah, well, my apologies. <laughs> I'll say I'll say that I'm always ahead of everything, all right? But th th this does go a long way, I think, in terms of sharing knowledge. And I think a big part, Susan, to your point right there, like the reason why we're here right now is because it is important. These connections do matter, right? And we're learning from each other. And so I'm really thankful for, for everybody taking the time to prepare this. Uh, on behalf of paper, we've got a little thank you gift for all of you, which we'll follow up after with um, to, to sort out. But we wanted. There's a question in the chat. Sorry. Oh, do yeah? Do we have time for questions? Um, there's just one. A lot of positive, just comments saying this was very um, enlightening and helpful, and it was a great session. Thank you. And people love the ignite model. Um, but there was a question for Danny on: Did you do you did you do Monday morning meetings in your high school as well as elementary mm -hmm. and middle? Well, some some teachers take advantage of the extra time for instruction, uh, and some teachers for relationships, and so we don't drive that as a district. What I would say is uh, that the thought of creating a time for either one uh, is needed. And that, that was the big takeaway for us. And uh, elementary, I'd say more about relationships. High school, more about instruction. But each level had opportunities for both. Amazing. Any other questions, Sarah? Um, nope, that was it. Um, lots of thank yous. Okay. Well, thank you to, to the audience out there. Very much appreciated. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.
This was great. We'll let everybody get back to AI. Doug, thank you so much for putting this all together. All right, folks, that's episode 24 in the books. Hope you enjoyed it. And uh, I'm recording this on Saturday of Memorial Day, a rainy Memorial Day weekend here in the New York area. But wherever you are, I hope if you're listening to this during Memorial Day, I hope you have a great weekend. Hope you got better weather than we do. And, um, you know, always a, an important and kind of solemn time to think to those, to the sacrifice that so many made for our country. And this is a, a time for us all to remember them and honor them and hope you'll be able to do so in your own way. I'm sure we all think about those in our families who served and, you know, those of those who lost somebody in service. It's just a, it's, it's just a horrible thing to have happen. And, you know, there's always a nice weekend to just kind of reflect on that and, and honor those who, who stepped up and are still with us as well. Um, so anyway, thank you to, to all those out there who have served our country and, uh, are, our deepest sympathies with those who've lost somebody uh, who gave the ultimate sacrifice. Have a great Memorial Day weekend.